City officials in Edmonton turn off water fountains used by unhoused people just before extreme heat. Alberta Premier says she's working with BC's Premier to get more LNG infrastructure built. Mass grave discovered in the Darfur region of Sudan. As many as three workers have died from an oil platform explosion in the Gulf of Mexico. And the leftist party in the runoff ballot in Guatemala for president has been suspended. Good morning. It's Friday, July 14th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. First, we start in Edmonton, where city officials closed two water fountains in the downtown just before a heat wave because police and library staff had made complaints. The city's water utility cut off the water supply from fire hydrants last Thursday. Then, the weekend that followed, water bottle filling stations near the Stanley A. Milner Library and Bissell Center West were turned off. The official line is that they turned off the water fountains because when they were on, people were going under vehicles or sleeping in them or damaging them, surveilling them, and there were quote-unquote biohazard incidences, aka likely drug use. In one case, a man threw an object at groundskeepers, said Cheryl Vordenhout from the city's police. These are the justifications for turning off the water. At the time that the water was shut off, there was a heat warning in place. It was so hot, reports Lauren Boothby from the Edmonton Journal. The library told Boothby that people were still welcome to fill up their water bottles inside, except, of course, only when the library is open. The city, the police, and the library said that the water being on posed safety concerns for staff and the public. The city's mayor, Emerjeet Sohi, said that he was concerned about turning the water off without a contingency plan. The city manager's office had not been told that this was going to happen. So he said this, quote, while we've tripled the number of water stations throughout Edmonton this summer, this particular closure meant that many unhoused Edmontonians didn't have access to drinking water, unquote. Boothby talked with Amy Kaler, a sociologist from the University of Alberta who focuses on public health, who said this, quote, it's not a luxury or nice to have. If you don't want people who are sick or people potentially who could die, you need to figure out how to do this right. With climate change, the number of days in which dehydration is a real threat is just going to increase. So the more time and effort the city puts into figuring out how to do this right now will pay off. Next to Vancouver, where Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith has said that she's started discussions with David Eby, the Premier of British Columbia, to, quote, greatly expand the reach of Canadian natural gas to foreign markets, reports the Canadian press. The discussions started two weeks ago, and they focus on how Canada can use the Paris Accord to buy or get carbon credits for reducing emissions abroad. So Canada would sell liquefied natural gas to China, let's say, and if China reduced emissions as a result of RLNG, Canada would get the credits thanks to displacing things like coal. Smith was speaking at the LNG 2023 conference, so of course this is a crowd that wants to hear that. Smith believes that Asian countries need Canadian liquefied natural gas to meet their emissions targets while they transition to new energy sources. Demonstrating her impeccable grasp of geography, Smith told the crowd that it only takes 11 days to ship LNG to Asia, whereas it takes 20 days to ship it from the U.S. Gulf Coast. She doesn't say where in Asia, maybe all of it, maybe just Japan, Hawaii, who's who's to say, really? Riding high on this geographic optimism, she also said that it would take seven to eight days to ship LNG to Europe. 
quote, less than any other North American LNG project, unquote. The LNG project in Kitimat, BC is costing $40 billion and is about 85% of the way done. It's the only export facility under construction in Canada. It's notably not on the East Coast, so Smith's fantasy land of shipping Alberta LNG out of an Atlantic port seems far-fetched, especially if one remembers Quebec's opposition to LNG pipelines. David Eby is less confident that Canada will be able to fill the stopgap to replace fossil fuels. Eby thinks that it takes too long to generate and transmit the kind of energy that, quote-unquote, they're looking for. And he wants to speed it up so that BC, quote, does not miss LNG's economic opportunity, unquote. Smith thinks that an LNG connection through Ontario from the Churchill River to James Bay is very interesting. The article doesn't fact-check any of the suggestions that LNG is clean fuel, which it's not, nor does the article mention any of the earthquakes that have happened in northern Alberta triggered by liquefied natural gas mining. Next, a mass grave has been found in West Darfur. 87 people, some who were from the Masalit tribe, were found in a shallow grave near the city of Janina. The UN Human Rights Office made the announcement based on what they say was credible information. The people were allegedly killed by Sudanese paramilitary and allied militia, reports the Associated Press. Most of the bodies were men. 37 of the bodies were buried on June 20th and 50 more were added on June 21st. With the fighting in Sudan, West Darfur has been particularly dangerous. The fighting has morphed into ethnic violence. RSF troops and allied Arab militias have been attacking African ethnic groups. More than 238,000 people have left Darfur to seek safety in Chad. Entire towns have been razed and looted. On May 28th, the RSF and their allies murdered 97 people while it rampaged through the city of Mistere. During the rampage, they targeted mass elite men. Now to Mexico. An explosion and fire at an offshore gas platform in the Gulf of Mexico killed two workers, injured eight others, and sent one missing. The Nohawk gas transfer platform is operated by Petróleos Mexicanos, a state-owned company. The dead and missing worker were subcontracted workers, and five of the injured workers also worked for a subcontractor. 321 workers were evacuated from the platform, and the platform was destroyed. Four others nearby were not damaged. Voice of America is reporting that there appeared to be little risk of an oil leak, though the platform might have to flare gas to deal with too much of it. This produces a large amount of greenhouse gas. Reuters reports that its output will be reduced by 100,000 barrels of oil per day until the beginning of August, or 2 million barrels total. In August 2021, a gas leak triggered an explosion that killed seven workers and lost 1.6 million barrels of oil. Mismanagement at the platforms has led to increasing workplace accidents. And finally, Guatemala's top prosecutor has secured the suspension of one of the two political parties going to a runoff ballot for president in August. The move is stoking fears that Guatemala's fragile democracy is breaking even further. Two and a half weeks ago, two parties emerged for a presidential runoff ballot, the surprise left-wing seed movement and the right-wing National Unity of Hope party. Bernardo Arvalo from the seed movement was supposed to face off against Sandra Torres. The seed movement was suspended hours after the electoral authorities certified the vote. They also lost the right to campaign and organize. Torres announced she would suspend her campaign in protest of the decision, calling for a quote-unquote level playing field before the second round of voting, reports Al Jazeera. At issue are irregularities, they say, in the 5,000 signatures that the seed movement needed to have to form a political organization. 
Rafael Curuchiche, who is the head of the Office of the Special Prosecutor Against Impunity, and the Attorney General Maria Consuela Poros ordered a raid on Guatemala's election authority to seize voting documents. There was also a raid anticipated on the seed movement's headquarters. The decision to suspend the seed movement defies Guatemala's electoral and political parties law, which says that a party cannot be suspended during an election. Both Curuchiche and Poros have been accused of corruption themselves. Poros has been sanctioned by the U.S. Department of State for, quote, obstructing anti-corruption investigations to protect her political allies and gain undue political favor, unquote. And Curuchiche has been accused of disputing corruption cases against government officials. Those are your headlines for Friday, July 14th. I'm Nora. Happy Bastille Day to those of you who celebrate. You're listening to this podcast on sandynora.com at the Real News Network podcast feed and syndicated on campus radio stations across Canada. I hope you have a great Friday. I hope you have a great weekend and enjoy the middle of July.